Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I'm so excited to have Mark Barnes on the show. Mark is a longtime educator, best-selling author, founder of Times 10 Publishing, and the creator of the Hack Learning Series. Mark is the author of six educational books, including Assessment 3.0, Role Reversal, a 2013 Best Professional Book, and two books in Corwin's Connected Educators series. Mark co-authored Hack Learning's flagship book, Hacking Education, 10 Quick Fixes for Every School, a Benjamin Franklin Award winner. And Mark is also a blogger, podcaster, keynote speaker, and education presenter. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Josh. Great to be here. Uh, Love your show, and I appreciate you having me on. And Mark, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you went from the classroom to the founder of your own publishing company. Yeah, uh, well, I, I taught for 23 years in English language arts in junior high and high school. And, you know, when you're a teacher for a long time, you're involved in a whole lot of things in and out of the classroom. So I was a part of a uh, Uh, a lot of curriculum development committees. I actually work with the superintendent and a committee to create a a new mission statement and a five-year plan for our school district. Went to a superintendent's leadership academy. So it got me moving in the direction of wanting to help teachers be better teachers. And uh, that's what led me to eventually leave the classroom and do some writing and presenting. And then five years ago, started my own publishing company, Times 10 Publications. And that launched with our hack learning series. Prior to moving to the publishing company in the private industry, what was one of the most impactful experiences you had that enhanced your skills as a leader? I think that I would say, you know, collaborating with colleagues in a team environment. So I, I had the, the pleasure and wonderful experience of working with an academic team for, I think it was about six of my 20 plus years in the classroom. And I love the team environment, you know, where we there were four core curriculum teachers working with a large group of kids. So we all saw the same kids every day. So, you know, I felt like uh, we, we really kind of had to work hard to to get that team spirit and to become the kind of people who could collaborate, even because we were very different, you know. So it was pretty cool to be able to figure each other out and we all had our own style, so we had to spend a lot of time meeting together and developing our plans together. We did interdisciplinary projects together. So I think that you learn a lot about coping with uh, a variety of people and styles. And when you do that with other adults and you all have the same goal in mind, you, you know, you really have to develop a lot of leadership skills. And in your experience in education, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? I would say listening, uh, you know, I, and I, I still think today it's, it's probably the most underrated skill. I think that we, as a, a leader, whether you're a, a teacher leader or you're a school leader, you feel like you're there to talk, you know, when you're in the classroom as a teacher, you're there to deliver information to kids. At least that, that tends to be the way we feel. And as much as we answer questions every day, I think it become, it, it can be hard to listen. And the same for, you know, school principals and curriculum directors and superintendents. I, I think that in leadership, we feel like we're guiding and you're there to guide others. Oftentimes, we forget that we just need to pause and stop talking and listen. And, and I think the best leaders do that really well. 
And I would say that you have an incredible pulse on the future of education as you travel around the country. What do you think is the largest barrier to the success of leaders? Probably bureaucracy. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, educators in general have to cope with so much red tape, government intervention, both, you know, at the federal and state level and the community level, you know, and there, there's so many people to please. So I think that all that red tape can create barriers that are very difficult. If you're driven by standardized tests and by grades and scores and graduation rates and things like that, it can really get in the way of doing the things that make schools successful. If leaders get so driven by the numbers and how we measure up to the next door district or other students and schools in our state, I think that it can get very tricky to do the things that you really have to do. For aspiring leaders that don't actually have a title, what are other ways that they can make an immediate impact on the campus? I think everybody at a school makes an impact. And I'll tell you one thing that I like about this piece of the conversation is, you know, I'm a big believer that everyone in a school system leads in one way or another. You know, in our, in our publishing company, We've got a new series coming out that's called Lead Forward. And some of those books will not be written by school principals or superintendents. Some will, but a lot will be written by other leaders in their space. We've got a, an early book in the series is going to be written by a classroom teacher, uh, Chrissy Romano, who is an expert with helping introverted kids find their voice. And she actually does some work with adults as well who are shy. You know, we don't often think of, of that in our buildings. We don't think of teachers or school leaders or other people as being shy. And oftentimes they are. So that's sort of her niche, you know, is that I know how to cope with that because she's done it. So I feel like even as a teacher, she's a leader in her space. So what I tell people is I, I want you to share what you do best and, and model that because that makes you a leader in your own right. So I think that the answer to the question is to not be afraid to share what you're good at. You know, you have something that you do very well that you can share with others. And I think sometimes we, we sort of stay hidden in our space and we don't share enough. What are some characteristics that you believe every leader should possess? I don't know if these are characteristics, but I, to me, great leaders model these things. I think one, I talked about listening. I think that great leaders are people that they have open doors and you can approach them and, and no one's afraid to walk into an office and say, hey, I've got this or that problem. And if they know that that person sitting at that desk is going to listen first and truly hear the person, I think that's really important. I think that the best leaders... Uh, lead from the, the middle. You know, I think they're out there. They're, you know, I said you can walk into someone's office and talk to them at their desk, but I think they got to get up and be, be mobile. You know, the, the people that I worked with that I thought were excellent leaders when I was a classroom teacher, they were visible. And I know that's a challenge for, for leaders. I, I've talked to a lot of principals, you know, in my work as a publisher, when we've done leadership books, we've had these conversations and they've said that it is challenging when you have so much, go back to that red tape and the bureaucracy we talked about, when you have so many things like that, that plate is filled with, it can be very difficult to then get out there and get in the middle and get in the classroom and the hallway. And I think that's a really important thing. You have to, you have to model the things that you want your teachers or your audience to do. 
So whatever you're asking them to do, I think the best leaders get out there and they do it too. What was your biggest misconception as you moved from a classroom teacher to starting your own publishing company? Oh, man, I probably had a whole lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that for me, you know, because it, the, the biggest thing for my transition is that, you know, I'm kind of in the private sector now, you know, even though I really work in education still and with educators, teachers, school leaders, you know, I, I'm really a businessman. And I, and I don't like that title. I, I tell people all the time, like, I'm a teacher. I'm not a businessman. Or at least I'm not a very good one. But, you know, t to me, I think that the, the tough thing was not understanding immediately the difference in those things. You know, I, I was my life had been in, as a classroom teacher, a leader within a school, you know, someone who was working with kids and collaborating with other teachers and school leaders on a daily basis and parents, you know, all those those people who uh, shareholders of this with the same vision, you know, to make their kids better. And then moving out of that into something that uh, a business that I had to run and suddenly had to deal with money and expenses and, you know, income and expenses and spreadsheets and data and a lot of the stuff that I didn't really do as a, as an English language arts teacher, certainly, you know, that wasn't my thing and math's not my strong suit anyways. So you know, I think that that was a big transition. And, and but you know what really helped is I fell back on what we as educators like to tell kids all the time about being lifelong learners. So immediately what I had to do was say, I have to go back to learning again. I have to be a student again. If I'm going to be successful in a business, even though it's the business of education and finding great people to write books and, and seeing those ideas go into you know, book format, I still had to be a business person. I had to learn how to do that. So I think being an educator and a lifelong learner, that really helped me get past that barrier. And so you're in the midst of a bunch of different leaders talking about a whole host of things in education. Now that you've gone through and written so many different books and you've had a chance to publish so many books, what is one area you want to change in education? Uh, well, I have to narrow it to one. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's tough. You know, I, I think that, um, and, and this is, I, I think a lot of the books that we publish probably cross into this area. But for me, the biggest thing that I would like, that I want to focus on, and I think we need to focus on in education, is uh, being less consumed with test scores and grades and, and academics in general and being more concerned with our primary shareholder, our kids. You know, I think that we tend to, as educators, be driven by curriculum and lesson plans and test scores and grades and uh, making our kids, you know, college and career ready. And all of those things certainly have a role. And, you know, there's we obviously have a lot of layers to our job in education. But I just think a lot of times that, we forget that we've got kids that come into our space every day that have so many issues outside of school and, and that those issues get in the way of learning. And I think that we don't focus enough on that. And I, and that's something that I really am working very hard on right now. A lot of our recent books uh, really delve into seeing kids for who they are, uh, what their issues are, and how to meet them in, uh, you know, in their space so that they can ultimately become better learners.
And as a publisher, have you ever received criticism? And if so, how did you work through that? Almost daily. <laughs> uh, you know, I spend a lot of time on social media uh, because, you know, that's just a part of what we do. So, you know, we've got uh, with the publishing company, you know, we've got a Times 10 Twitter feed. We've got a Hack Learning Twitter feed. We've got, uh, you know, our, our other series. Now we've got the Unseries and Lead Forward and all of these have their own spaces. So as the, the person sort of steering the ship, I spend a lot of time in those spaces you know, and what I do is I talk about the issues that are either in our books or are maybe things I want to talk about that might ultimately turn into books or, or other content for us. It's, those are really important conversations. So there's a lot of stuff that I get pushed back on because what I do is I, you know, I'm very open on social media. I think maybe more so than people who sit in my chair. And I, I'm willing to go out and, and to say things that really aren't the most popular about, and you know, some of the stuff we're talking about. Like people will push back and say, yeah, well, as a teacher, you know, I have lesson plans that I have to execute and I do have to give my kids grades and tasks and homework and all of that. Whereas it, I'll say, eh, I don't think that's the most important thing. So a lot of that becomes conversations that can be challenging. So I think that's one of the things I do get criticized for a lot of people say, well, you're not in the classroom anymore. You know, it's, it's easy to sit where you are. And to say things should be a certain way. And I get that. I really do. So, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll always answer with is, you know, I'm working with people who have their feet on the ground. Teachers, school leaders, curriculum directors, uh, superintendents, you know, all of those. So, and, and I'm in touch with them constantly. I was just, I just came back from uh, ASCD Empower Conference in Chicago, you know, where I spent so much time surrounded by not only my own authors who are all classroom teachers or school leaders, but with other people that people, a lot of them that I've met on social channels, and it's great to get in those face to faces. So, you know, I think that's what I do. That's my pushback when people say, well, you're not in there doing it. That's one of the criticisms I get a lot. We see criticism on a lot of things we say in books. Uh, you know, I think it just goes with the territory. I think it goes with any territory. You know, if you're a classroom teacher, you're going to be criticized for something you do by kids, by parents, by school leaders. If you're a school leader, you're certainly going to be criticized. You know that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I just, you know, I, I try to have a thick skin about it. And, and I try to always um, go right back to what we said earlier. What are those important skills? I try to listen. I was just embroiled in, in kind of a hot conversation on Twitter. Literally in the last couple of days, a comment I put about something uh, someone wrote in a blog post. And I sort of took the other side. You know, everybody was jumping in going, yeah, that's exactly right. That's what you got to say. And there were some important things being said, but I sort of went, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that this is right. And that got into, you know, kind of a tough conversation. But I always try to just say, okay, I see your point, but, you know, I think you got to let people know you're listening. So what is one initiative you implemented either at your campus or with your business that you are extremely proud of? Oh, that one's really easy. And I'll go back to when I was a, a classroom teacher. One of the things that I did that it, I talk about this a lot in conferences and then podcasts and other things is I completely changed my approach in the classroom. You know, I was at one time sort of a, an old school traditional teacher. And the first book I ever wrote, which was published by ASCD, is called Role Reversal. And the whole thing is about me sort of completely changing who I was. And one of the things that I did is as an English language arts teacher, you know, we had a curriculum and it, it called for like one novel a year. 
you know, and so you do the novel and you teach it over uh, eight weeks and you tear it apart with kids and they hate it. And, and then you move on and you do all kinds of other garbage in many cases. And I just decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I wanted my kids to read what I learned through just polling kids was that they weren't readers. You know, I had seventh and eighth grade students coming to me who told me that they had never read a book. I mean, that's staggering. You know, I mean, you're talking about kids who are 13, 14 years old. And I said, well, I don't even understand that, you know, and they said, well, you know, there's times a teacher puts a book under my nose and maybe I pretend I'm reading it. But, you know, I'm never just going to pick up a book and read it, you know, and I think that's tragic. And reading is still a, a huge issue in our country. There's some unbelievable statistics out there just on the average person, even adults, you know, the percentage of people who walk in a bookstore a year is like less than 20%. It's frightening. That was the thing I did is I implemented a, a reading program that I was very proud of. I decided to build a, a library in my classroom. Over a few years, I built uh, a library. We had probably 2,000 books. We read every day. I helped kids create their own reading plan. And I felt like when I did that at the end of the year, a whole lot of kids came in at the beginning of the year and they weren't readers. And at the end of the year, they were kids who love to read. So that's certainly what I'm most proud of. So for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? I think yeah, the, the most important advice I would have for any new leader, and, and not even just in school, but in any place, I, I think you have to take chances. You can't be afraid to take risks. And, and I think you have to be ready. You know, you talked about criticism. I think you have to be prepared to to be criticized especially if you're going to take risks i think you should come in and and i know that new leaders come in with big ideas and i think you can't be afraid to pursue those big ideas when we come into any new role there's just certain things you have to do you know it's like there's boxes to check you're going to have to check a lot of those boxes but you can't be afraid to you know color outside the lines a little bit and I think that when you come in with those big ideas and you want to change things, you should do it. I think if you're a, a school leader, specifically a, a building principal, if you're new, my guess is when you interview for that job, you're talking about big things you want to do. And I, I think sometimes it's almost like politicians. You know, we hear the politicians talk about all the big things they want to do when they're campaigning. And a lot of times those don't get done. And I think school leaders, when you when you go in there and say, man, I've got all this great stuff I want to do, I think once you get in there, you need to make sure you do it. You know that there will be pushback. You'll have critics. You'll have people saying you're crazy, people saying that's impossible, and you just have to do the very best you can to get it done. And always do what's best for kids. I know you're a fellow podcaster. Can you just take a moment to share the Hack Learning Podcast and what that's all about? Yeah, you know, this was really born out of the book series. And when I started my publishing company five years ago, it started with the Hack Learning series. And we do other things now, but we, we just launched our 22nd book in that series. So early on, we talked about the transition, you know, and the challenges. Well, uh, and I talked about the business end, but another big side of it was the marketing side. Again, I was a teacher. I wasn't a marketer. So I had to learn a lot about that. And one of the things is, you know, you you have to leverage the tools that we have. Uh, I had to learn how to build an email list and all that. But one of the things was podcasting. And honestly, I didn't start it right away. My good friend, Jennifer Gonzalez, who co-authored the first book in our series with me, 
and does cult of pedagogy. She sort of, she had already been podcasting for a while and she's like, you know, you got to do a podcast. She's like, you've got great content. You got great people you can talk to, you know, you've got a brand you get, you have to do it. So hack learning is really what we are. You know, it's all about solving problems with, with right now solutions. I think it's great for teachers and leaders, the idea that here's a problem and we don't necessarily need a five-year plan. There are things you can do that are practical that other people are already doing successfully. So what I do is I leverage the content we have, the great authors and their ideas. I guess I'm a, sort of a, a glorified thief, you know, <laughs> I go and take their ideas that are in our book. And that's what I talk about in almost every podcast episode. Well, congratulations on your new book launch. I know it's going very well. For those who haven't had the opportunity to read Hacking School Discipline, can you give us a quick synopsis for our aspiring leaders? Yeah, I, I say every time I say, yeah, I'm really proud of this book. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of all our stuff. And I know a lot of times authors listen to me on these shows and they're like, well, what about my book? I, I, I love everything we do, but this is great because it is, and I think it's perfect for leaders because uh, it's about restorative justice. And, and, you know, this idea that we talked about earlier about meeting kids where they are and sort of de-emphasizing all of the academics and the test scores and the grades and understanding that kids have problems outside of school that impact their school lives. And it's really easy for us to miss that. And what I love about this book is that, that two guys, Nathan Maynard and Brad Weinstein, uh, they've been doing this. They're school leaders and they've been doing this at their school and they've been doing it for like 10 years now. So they're truly experts and they just lay it out in this book how, how we can as school leaders and as teachers really get a grip on the behavior issues that we have not by creating more carrots and sticks and not by getting rid of the problem by suspending kids or just handing them this long list of do's and don'ts. But if we can understand kids, and that's what hacking school discipline is really about. It's about understanding kids. And these guys have so many strategies, uh, you know, like I'll just give one of my favorites is, is called circle up. And they talk about restorative circles. And the whole idea is simple. It's just about getting kids talking and the teacher sort of being a facilitator and being a part of that circle, but not as necessarily the leader. But what I love about it is they give examples that are so powerful, right down to sentence stems where you say to kids, I'm going to say this, this, and this, and I want you guys to say the same. And then I want you to share that. And then I want you to say, what does that mean to you? You know, when Josh says this, how does that make you feel? And this kid did this or that that was disruptive to our day. How did that make you guys feel? And what should we do about that? Uh, it's just really a, a tremendous thing because I think that when we get kids, when we understand their issues, it's a whole lot easier uh, to, to get them on your team and to understand who they are. And you want them to change their behaviors. I think we go about discipline as educators by saying we want to change behaviors. You have to get kids to want to change. And that's what hacking school discipline and this whole idea of restorative justice is all about. So it's really fabulous. It's been out for a week and thousands of people are getting it and people are reaching out to me and going, man, I want to bring bunches of these into my school. So I think we're going to see real change and I'm proud of that. In addition to your teaching position, you speak at conferences, you blog, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your school district? That's a great question uh, and, and one I, I like to talk about. 
You know, I started blogging really, I was still a, a classroom teacher. And back then, I mean, this is going back almost eight or nine years that I started my blog. Like most things, I didn't know anything about it, but I was reading blogs. And, you know, I started reading things written by educators. And then I just sort of learned this whole idea about blogging. I was like, wow, this is really cool. These people just coming on here and sharing their experiences, you know, and their opinions. There's a lot of blogs out there that are, you know, people are just sort of ranting. And that's okay, too. I think it's a, it's a space that you can do a lot of great things. I've always felt like I had a lot to say. And people who know me will tell you I've been very outspoken. I just decided to start a blog. And I said, you know what? I want to write things that someone could look at. And the, the, my blog was called Brilliant or Insane, Education on the Edge. And I, I thought, you know, I, I want people to read an article and go, man, that's brilliant. Or, man, that's insane. Because I think that's what starts conversations. So, you know, that was the key. I, I, I started writing that blog while I was teaching. And then when I, you know, that led to me writing a book. When I was doing my first book, I talked to a publisher at ASED or an editor. And she said, you know, I said, what approach should I take? Because I don't even know what I'm doing. And we talked about the blog. And she said, use a lot of that content. You know, you, you, that's a personal thing for you. You're sharing your experiences and your story and the things you're passionate about. So take those ideas and, and put those into the book. So, you know, and then, and then it all just sort of snowballs, you know, so you, you, you write the blog and then eventually maybe you do a book and, you know, then you say, okay, well, I got to share all my content with other people. How can I do that? So I go to Twitter and Facebook and eventually a podcast, you know, so uh, it, it, it blooms. <laughs> and so Mark, in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? I think it probably sounds really simplistic, but for me, I, I take great pride and, and joy in seeing other people succeed. And, it, you know, when I was in, in school, whether it was a, a getting that kid to read a book for the first time or helping a colleague, I think it was, you know, that's that teacher leader thing that I think is so important is, you know, you've got people all around you that may be struggling in a certain way. You know, when I was a veteran teacher and had learned through lots of failure, I always loved finding that younger teacher who needed some help and, and sharing my experiences, you know, and then the same in, in business. Now, the, the joy is to help that person take an idea that they have and they want to share with the world and to see idea go to published book that, you know, like now with Hacking School Discipline, it's so many people are like, man, this is great. I got to have this. And, and and those authors are so excited. You know, we talk like every day during our, our initial launch. You talk every day. And, and they're just so excited. And it isn't, oh, I'm selling books. It's they're so excited that this incredible idea that's going to make so many people better is reaching a wider audience. So I think helping people be successful, that's what leaders in any space do. And, and that's what I'm most proud of. How can our listeners connect with you on social media? Well, I'm at Mark Barnes 19 on Twitter. As, as I said, I'm there pretty much every day and, and having conversations. I share a lot of content from, you know, our world, our books and video from our authors and all of that and the Hack Learning Podcast. But I do love to engage in conversation. So that's the best place. And then if you want to learn more about us, you can just go to times10books.com. Find our books and our authors and all about us. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from this show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. 
Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Mark, thank you so much for being on the program. Josh, I've enjoyed it. It's a great conversation. Thanks for having me.